Hey, you guys, tickets have officially gone on sale for my next virtual conference. In May, we did Rise Live Courage, and now we're doing Rise Live Healthy and Happy. We're spending an entire day, nine plus hours of programming with some of the greatest speakers in the world, all talking about how to live your life in such a way that you have the energy to have the life of your dreams. What does it look like to learn to eat intuitively? What does it look like to move your body in celebration? What does it look like to approach health from a place of love and celebration instead of shame? We believe that healthy and happy is about how you feel, not about how you look. So I am joined by incredible people like Jay Shetty and Stacy Flowers, Kelly Levesque, Dave Hollis, Trent Shelton, motivating the crap out of you. Me, talking about inspiration. And if you've ever been to a Rise conference before, you better believe you're also going to hear from Beans and Chris. It's going to be a day of fun and energy and so empowering. If you feel like you have fallen off your plan inside of quarantine, if you feel like you need a kick in the pants to get you motivated again, this is the day for you, and tickets start at $40. You can go to thehollisco.com right there at the top of the page. You'll see a big banner. Click on it. Let's hang out. Let's get fired up together. Hey guys, if you can even believe it, our documentary is coming back to a theater near you. Babe, where's it going to be? Well, we had a documentary. It came out in theaters in August, and it's coming back to theaters. That's what I just said. On January 2nd. Yes. And again on January 9th. Yes. And it is in theaters nationwide and also in Canada. Yes. If you have ever been curious at what one of our live events is like, this is the Rise Women's Conference. Uh, It's a two-day conference that we throw every single year, and this is a documentary about that whole weekend for the cost of a movie ticket. There's a 90-minute feature-length documentary that is followed by a 30-minute coaching session from Rachel. The coaching comes directly out of Girls Help Apologizing. So for 15 bucks or less, you can come into a theater, have some community, watch what a live event looks like, and get a great coaching. It's an amazing night. January 2nd and January 9th at a theater near you. For more information, you're going to go to Fandango, Adam Tickets, AMC. Regal, Regal, Cinemark, Cinemark, Cineplex, Cineplex. or FathomEvents.com. Welcome to the Rise Podcast. I'm Rachel Hollis, and I've built a multi-million dollar media company with a high school diploma and a Google search bar. Each week, we'll be sharing tangible, direct advice or inspiring interviews with the same intention. These are the tools to change your life. Have you ever thought about building a business that wouldn't just make money, it would also help people? Tori Jones has an incredible example of that. The company that she's built helps to fund artisans in Guatemala. Their work is stunning, and I personally carried one of their purses for a year and a half, so I know all about it. This is an incredible journey into what it means to build a business you believe in. Hey, sister, thank you so much for joining me today on the Rise podcast. Um, I'm thrilled to have you here because I have been lucky enough to 
carry your gorgeous work around with me in life. And now we get to hear the story um, in real time. So will you tell listeners who you are, what you do, and how you got there? Hey, Rachel. Thanks so much for having me. Um, Yeah. Um, My name is Tori Jones. I'm 32 years old, and I'm the founder of Eshell Triangle. Uh, For those of you who don't know what Eshell Triangle is, we're an ethically-minded apparel company. We produce all of our goods in Guatemala, and we also have our offices and shop here in Redlands, California. My mission with starting this company was to create a brand that's also ethical and also sustainable. So my little personal motto is support people, fight the machine. Nice. <laughs> and that um, that's because so many products have gone to machine made. So and and we do a lot of work. All of our weavings are hand woven on a backstrap loom, which is the traditional uh, style of weaving uh, in Guatemala and other Latin American countries. And in order to make this sustainable for the indigenous people and to continue, you know, this art form that is so closely tied to their cultural history, we have to only utilize handmade weavings. Because if people go to the machine-made weavings, you're losing that history and that culture, and it's not going to be passed on to the next generation. So tell me why Guatemala? How did this all get started? Oh, well, that's an easy one right there. My uh, my grandma moved to Guatemala when I was little, so about mm, three decades ago. <laughs> uh, yeah, so she moved down there which is kind of wild when I think about it now, because there was, you know, not computers or cell phones or anything like that. She used to, she'd walk to the phone company once a week to call back to her parents in California and tell them she's okay. (laughs) Um, Now she, she kind of just travels all over um, and just spends part of her time in Guatemala now. So I grew up with that place in my life since I was a young child uh, going down there, visiting people. We used to have, we were able to have some friends from Guatemala come and stay with us when we were kids. So it was a very big part of my life. And once I started going down there, it just felt right. It felt like I was home. You know, like these people are my people and this place is my heart's home. <laughs> and did you have a, a a background in fashion or this industry? Like, so you had this love for the country and the culture, but how did that lead you to the business that you're in? Yeah, so I did not. You know, I uh, I went to the University of Redlands, go Bulldogs, and my my education is in um, psychology and education, and so it's not in fashion at all. And actually, before I started this, I used to teach inmates in prison, so completely different field. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's crazy. Yeah, which I love. Like, I loved that. That's such important work. Oh, yeah. It's, you know, if I, if I hadn't started this business, I would have stayed there. You know, that was, that was my career. And I loved it. Like, I loved working with inmates. Um, It really, I felt like the Lord just cracked open my heart for people that I didn't know I could love and and I did. And so it was a really big blessing and it was an amazing experience, but it was also hard to like any mom knows, I think I had 3 daughters by the time I started the company and left the prison. 
And so it was that kind of work. Uh, the the prison work working with inmates is really great, but it's also very draining. So a lot of times I felt like I was giving every good part of myself that I had to my inmates and I didn't have anything left for my own kids. So as the time I was, you know, I was at uh, the prison working and then going down to Guatemala a lot and visiting. And I had started supporting some kids down there in, in their education, because it's not like you know, in the States, you can't just go to public school and, and it's paid for. That that opportunity is not given to everyone freely. You know, you have to pay for your books, you have to pay for your supplies, you have to pay for a uniform, and a lot of people can't afford that. And once you get to a certain age, if you're able to work, then a lot of families will have you stop school and start working and help supporting the family. And I, you can't blame them, you know, they need the income, but they also they also need an education. So I had started supporting a child, uh, Jose Mario, actually. Uh, My grandma actually was friends with his grandma uh, years ago. They, she worked for my grandma and they became really close. His grandma actually even spent like three months with us when I was a little kid here in California. So, so we've known their family for three generations and very close with them. And one time I was visiting on a trip with my grandma and we were at their house. I want to call it a house, you know, dirt floors, no bathroom, no running water, but we're still there visiting and they're, you know, serving us a meal. And I was talking to him and he, he was so bright. I think he was probably like 10 at the time, maybe 11. Uh, really bright. He was starting to learn English. And he started telling me a story about how when he grows up, he wants to become an architect because he wants to be able to build his mom a real home because she's never had one before. And I was like, okay, well, I will make you a deal. (laughs) If you stay in school, I will pay for you to go to school. (laughs) So right then I was like, well, that's it. You know, I gotta, I gotta send this kid to school. Um, I have children of my own. I understand how it is. And hey, I was still paying off my own student loans. (laughs) But but I I saw the importance that education can give someone, not only a child, but I saw that when I worked with inmates also. Uh, Education is freedom. And, you know, it can come in many forms. And if I can help, I'm going to. So I started, I was still working at the prison. I started sending money down every month for him to go to school and not only him Jose Mario but also his um his younger siblings and so they were able to go to school and after doing this for a little while I started feeling maybe like a little bit of a feeling of discontent I think when I was at work and also wondering like okay I'm sending money down to these people but really what could I be doing in Guatemala to create the funds there. It just seemed like it would make more sense to me, you know? Yeah, yeah, something that's more sustainable for sure. Yes, more sustainable. Like, what is that saying, you know, you can give a man man to fish. Yes, yes. Absolutely, absolutely. (laughs) So so I started thinking about that and going over things like, okay, well, what what could I do? And that was really the whole mindset was not like, Oh, I love bags and accessories, which I do. Um, But that wasn't the first thought. The first thought in my head was, okay, what, who do I know that I can connect with? What can we make 
and how can we utilize, you know, what we have available to us. Then I remembered when I was younger, my uncle and aunt had a hacky sack business. So I don't know if you remember like how popular hacky sacks were. hundred <laughs> percent. I remember hacky sacks. I never knew how to use one properly, but I wanted yeah. to so bad. <laughs> yeah. So my, uh, my uncle and aunt and my cousins, they had a business like 20 years ago called Guada Bags and they were like all over and they were woven, you know, yeah, hacky sacks. I actually them. know what you're talking about. They were like not stitched, but I know exactly what it, you're talking about. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So that was their business. And so I started, you know, talking to my family, like, who did you work with? Um, how do, can we do this? And just, just started, you know, contacting people. So I went back down to Guatemala and, you know, met up with different people that my grandma had known or that my uncle and aunt had worked with and just started sharing my idea. Like, Hey, I think I had narrowed it down to that point. Um, of like bags and camera straps, you know, smaller accessories, because I felt like I didn't want to do clothes because it was too size specific. Yes. One <laughs> size thought, fits all is the jam. Yes. Yes. And I'm like, it doesn't matter how big or small you are, a bag's going to look good on you. <laughs> totally. So that's, that's kind of where it started. And I, over like a year, I saved up before I quit, um, you know, teaching at the prison, I saved up about $15,000. And I quit. And that's what I I used that money to start the business. (laughs) I didn't I've never taken out a loan. I've never done anything. I just, my mindset was I need to keep my costs low. And I want to start off utilizing the the money that I've saved. I never want to go in debt for something. And and just grow with the business because you know whenever anybody's too big to fail that's when you fail mm-hmm. so i thought you know i wasn't going to go get loans i wasn't going to get a big store right away i started out in my garage spent the $15,000 on leather and weavings and paying all of our workers and import fees and hiring an attorney to set up my llc and get everything right and then just slowly grew with it <laughs> Hey, y'all, if you are looking for something to complement the foods that you are already eating to bless your body, I want to make sure you know about Saqqara's Clean Boutique. It's the perfect complement for your eating journey with organic, whole food-based healthy snacks, supplements, and heartwarming teas that round out your rituals beautifully. Complete your Saqqara life and ensure you're getting all the essential plant nutrition you need every day with The Foundation, the brand's curated vitamin packs. And if you want to check it out, right now, Saqqara is offering our listeners 20% off their first order when they go to saqqara.com slash rise or enter code rise at checkout. That's Saqqara, S-A-K-A-R-A, dot com slash rise to get 20% off your first order. Sakara.com slash rise. I love, love, love that because I am in the same place that you are. Like I have never taken money. It's all like I work, I would work really hard. I worked multiple jobs Mm -hmm. to be able to start the business and I did 
you know, events and things that I didn't want to do for years to be able to fund starting the blog and kind of turning it into Mm -hmm. what I wanted it to be. Now that was so hard and now it's super popular in this space. Everybody's getting funding and everyone's got venture capital money and it's like so sexy. And I'm over here like, yeah, but I own 100% of my business. I've never, (laughs) I've, and I've, you know, yeah, that meant that we couldn't go out and hire 50 employees right away, but we have, you know, we've grown really slowly, but we've grown and we've done it by our own work and on our own backs. And so it's something I'm really proud of. And I dig hearing that from another entrepreneur, especially a woman. You really just spoke to all of it right there that once you reach the goals that you've set before yourself, you feel a really great sense of accomplishment knowing like, hey, you know what? I worked my ass off and I did this. And I don't owe a bank and I, you know, 50 people don't own part of my company or however many. It's, you know, it's mine. Like, this is my baby. (laughs) So what year was this? What year was this when you when you that was 2000. 13. Okay, so you buy all yep, the so stuff, almost, you you start producing mm-hmm. bags. Is it mm-hmm. just is it just purses to start with? Purses and camera straps. So we had three sizes of bags. We had like a small, medium, and large. <laughs> and how did you sell them? Like once you get a product, like how do you start oh. selling? Well, this is, you know, the great thing it's like in my garage, right? Um so I we had set up I had gotten a website set up like that's where the money went to I you know paid a business attorney to set everything up legally I paid somebody to create my website and my logo and do my branding but then I maintained the website so I just had them start it and then to do the products and that's that's all the money I had I didn't have money to you know rent a shop or office or anything it was out of my garage and I just started um, would give product to like friends or family and had mostly word of mouth. So it had just started out word of mouth and I would either have people come to my garage and buy bags or I would seriously like load up the back of my car and I would drive to people's house like, oh, you want a bag? Um, they'd, you know, text me. <laughs> um or call me like, oh, I, I heard that you sell purses. And I'm like, yeah, where do you live? I'll come bring you some to choose from. Wow. <laughs> and I just like open up the trunk of my car and there'd be a spread of bags. And and then I would sell it like that. <laughs> That's awesome. It's yeah, it's um when you were first it's pretty funny. When you were first in that space, like did you understand about margins? Did you like did you have a good handle on that side of the business? Because I feel like that took me a really long time to understand. It yeah, it took me a little bit like, oh, I need to, you know, make this much money to actually make money. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um and you learn that after you think you're doing good. And then you realize like, oh, really, I didn't make that much money. Why not? Mm. You know, and you don't take into account like, yeah, you know how much it costs you to make a product, but you don't take into account for me, for example, um, you know, shipping, customs fees, um, import and taxes and all of these things that you don't really think about when you're coming from uh, a different kind of career or job. (laughs) 
And so, so it, it took a little while. And so how did you um, how did you start to sort of gain traction both with who you were selling to and like the word of mouth and how you were selling? Because obviously today you are not still selling them out of the trunk of your car. No, thankfully. <laughs> um, yeah, it was word of mouth and friends and family. And I was like, oh, I need to, then I started a website, but then I'm like, well, how do I get people to come to my website? (laughs) Um, And this was, I remember I did not have an Instagram and I did not have a Facebook, which I think I'm sure they were around then. I just was not up on that because I'm not cool with technology at all. Um, Which is funny because I have a business that's primarily based online, but I don't handle that part of it. (laughs) Like we hire people for that. Yeah. Um, they, you know what? One of the best pieces of advice that anybody ever gave me was like, if you're not good at something, do it, you know, do it as long as you do. But once you can afford it, hire somebody else Amen. to do that. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And it, it was a really great piece of advice. But, um, but yeah, so I would say the biggest thing that I had going for me was that I started a business in a community that I grew up in. So um, I went to school here in Redlands. I went to high school, like a really small, went to Montessori school. My graduating class was like 23 kids. And then I went to the University of Redlands and I lived here. My kids go to school here. And so I'm very closely tied into the community and lots of businesses and other entrepreneurs that are here that I kind of just went around to some people like, hey, I started this business. Look at, here's some examples of, you know, things that I'm making. Do you like them? (laughs) Are you interested in them? Do you want to sell them? And right away, I had support. I didn't have one friend that I went to that told me no. I feel like it's important to say too, though, if you guys have never seen Tori's product, it's gorgeous. So that helps Uh, just just for anybody who's listening who are like oh that's it like I just need the friends you do need the friends and you do need the connections and you do need the courage to ask but she also had a really beautiful product because it yeah because it is and if you don't follow them on Instagram you absolutely need to go just if nothing else for the gorgeous gorgeous photos um but you had a product that you believed in you had a product that had a story um it felt sort of missional it sounds like to me Oh, for sure. That was the driving yeah, force. Yeah, that for was sure. your why. Um, so you, yeah. you get in some local boutiques. Is that how it started? Well, funny. Actually, one of them was just a local boutique. Um, uh, lady, I got to say hi, Trisha. She owns these stores called Nectar and then another one now that's called For Good. And they have, they're all over Southern California. And I had gone to her house because I knew her family, showed her my stuff. And I'm like, hey, can I get this in there? And she was like, yeah, for sure. It's great. And she really gave me some very good pieces of advice, you know, on how maybe a suggestion of maybe what I should change on a product or how I could market it. And that was, you know, that's kind of priceless advice. But like you said, I had already done all the legwork for like a year in creating a product that I felt proud enough to put out there. So I got into her store. And then also I have another friend that I went to high school with, um, Ryan Burke. He, um, he owns 
ice cream companies and a chocolate company, which uh, doesn't go with bags at all, but they're, they're pretty unique um, businesses. And he loves to travel and he was a big supporter of mine when I started. And he let me put my bags on display with my cards in all of his stores. So nobody could buy them there, but they were just seeing them like, Oh, wow. It was really awesome. So, you know, they were just sitting there with my cards and it had my website, it had social media on it. So then people are seeing it in person and then going online, buying, following, connecting. Um, and that was that was really awesome. So I had that. Um, and then I had another friend that I went to high school with who owns a company, Ame. She has a clothing company and she contacted me. I was like, hey, I heard what you're doing. This is great. And she had already been around for a couple of years. And she's like, let's do something together. And she started promoting me on her social media. So yeah, it was like, work your ass off to create this product that you're proud of. And then ask everybody that you know to help you. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's so real. How, um, how, what year was that when it, when it started, when friends started to pick up versus where we are today? That, I think that was probably, that was like about four, shoot, maybe about four years ago, five years ago. It took, it was like about, I started company in 2013. And about by 2014, I didn't really have to, um, you know, be sticking it in other businesses to just be seen. So it took about, it was about a year of that. It was about a year of legwork to create the product. And then about another year before it was a good flow. And how big of a deal was Instagram for you? Was influencers for you? I mean, I feel like that's how I first found out about you years ago was I started seeing it pop up in my Instagram feed. Mm -hmm. No, yeah, that was huge. Because as much I mean, I hate to say it, but I kind of I have a love hate relationship with social media. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I love it for business, but for personal, I'm like, I got to get this out of my life just because, you know, you start, you start comparing yourself to everyone. And you know, what do they say? That comparison is a thief of joy. And damn, that is true. (laughs) Um, So I love it. Social media has been wonderful for my business, but for me personally, I'm like, I just need to take a little bit of a step back from that. Um, But business wise, it's great because when you're first starting out a business and you don't really have the, I mean, like we said, neither of us had borrowed money, right, to start our businesses. When you don't have the funds to do that, you don't really have a lot of money to have a marketing campaign or to hire a firm or anything like that. So having this tool available to us to just reach out to people that have a much larger audience and voice than you, it's priceless. And I've received so much love from that. People genuinely loved our mission and our products and and we're like yeah like we would you know I I, you have to pay people now I think but then you know you could just send them a product totally (laughs) um and I would just send products out to people and and not just that they loved the bags and what we were doing but more importantly I wanted people to be sharing that really cared about our mission of only making things that are handmade um creating an ethical business that we actually care about the people that we work with. And I know everyone personally that I work with and, and that we really follow through with 
um, what we're preaching, you know? Absolutely. Whenever we're going through something hard, it always affects us in more than one way. In the season that I've been in in my life, going through a difficult time has affected my sleep. I feel like I'm getting insomnia again that I haven't had in several years. And being able to talk that through with my therapist and kind of unpack why that anxiety is showing up at night or why my thoughts are racing or why I can't seem to shut my head off has been super helpful for me. And if you have considered seeing a therapist or talking to a counselor, it has never been easier to meet with someone virtually. If you are not familiar with BetterHelp, then I want to make sure that you hear about it from me. BetterHelp has counselors who specialize in everything you can imagine. Depression, stress, anxiety, anger, family conflicts, self-esteem. Anything that you share is confidential, and the service is convenient and affordable. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. I want you to start living a happier life today. And as a listener of my podcast, you get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash rise. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash rise. What does the business look like? today different (laughs) (laughs) well um still everything is still 100% handmade but it's not in my garage anymore (laughs) praise the lord (laughs) yes yeah so we actually have um you know probably 90% of our sales are online but we do have a really awesome space here in Redlands it's an old drive-through dairy that's been redone (laughs) so it's it's super cool. Um, that, anybody, it's an old drive-through dairy. That's yeah. Me. Okay. All right. Yep. Yeah. So it's pretty sweet. All right. Um, yes. It's. Um, I think I'm sure there's there's pictures on our social media because um, we do events like every month we do events now. Um, so I've taken it. You know, it's an online business, but I've really wanted to build community around it also. So that's why with our space is pretty awesome. So we hold pop-up events. We hold um, workshops with local community members. Not So not just um, our products. Like you can come in and buy bags like during one of our workshops. But we're also focusing on creating a community of women in the area that can come together, you know, have a drink, eat some food. And then we do some kind of creative project. And a local woman is teaching that class. So whether it's jewelry design or calligraphy or anything like that, it's we're building community around each other. And so nothing to do with purses, but it has everything to do with who we are. And so that's something that we've started doing recently. And how big is your team now? Well, (laughs) here in California, there's five of us. So like I said, 
uh, keep it small so that I, I like to keep my overhead low. And so we're here in California, we have five. And then in Guatemala, we have uh, dozens of weavers and bag makers. So that's really where, as long as we can keep it small on this end, we're really able to keep it sustainable in Guatemala so that our artisans are getting uh, you know the majority the majority of the money is being kept down in Guatemala and that's that was my goal so they receive um all of our makers receive 25% of profits that's awesome mhm um how did you did you like help to establish those businesses there or did you just find producers there in Guatemala who could help you get the product that you needed to get? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, when we were starting out, I decided that I only want to work with co-ops and I did not want to be in a factory. So I've committed to never making my own factory and never working in one because I've seen what they look like down there. I've seen other businesses that claim ethical and, and they're not. Yeah. Um, and so I wanted to hold myself accountable to that and be very transparent. Business changes people, money changes people. And I never wanted to put myself in a position to be the person that did that. So I committed to only work with co-ops and that's what we do. Um, Will you explain to us the difference between a co-op and a factory? Yeah. So the, I think the easiest way I can say is that a, a factory is... I'm the boss and I'm going to create these working conditions and I'm going to say, this is the price that you're getting paid. And, you know, who, and I can set low prices <laughs> and then my, my profit margin goes up, but their way of living doesn't. So getting people coming to me to work for me, that might not be as skilled, but they need money that's the way I view it. And that's the way I've seen factories function in Guatemala and in many countries. Now the co-ops, and I'll say this also, it's a, they're all indigenous co-ops too. So I work out in the highlands and by the lake. So not in any cities, they're in small villages. Got it. They're groups of indigenous people that have come together. They decide what is fair for them to make and we come to agreement. So we are standing on common ground. That, that they have a say in as the artisans they have a say it's yes yeah that's awesome exactly and it's not because when it's more one-on-one -on -one, um me coming into another country telling you how I need something done and how I want it done it's not it's not a good situation and I I didn't like how I've seen that um unfold mm. and I've seen it happen uh with you know a lot of people that I work with have worked for other companies and the stories that I've heard are, are really disheartening because I've seen other businesses that claim lots of things and don't follow through with it. And nobody knows, you know, nobody's the wiser because it's happening in a third world country to people that don't have voices. You know, they don't have thousands of followers that are hearing what they're saying. So I thought it was my job to work with these people on common ground and to establish a business that was fair to all of us. And that's what I've been able to do. So with the co-ops there, you know, it's a community of people coming together and saying like, this is how much it costs us to make this weaving. And this is what we think is fair. And then I'm like, 
you know, and we can negotiate, that's fine, but I'm not taking advantage of anyone. So one of the things that I'm curious about is Mm -hmm. what do you think gave you like the nudge that you needed to make change? Because I think a lot of women listening to this right now have ideas, have dreams in their hearts, have a what if, you know, what if I did this? What if I tried that? But you actually did it. And not only did you do it, but you managed to make a sustainable and successful business that serves you and your community and serves the community in Guatemala. So how do you feel like, like, what was the thing? What pushed you over the edge? If someone's just like still nervous and scared, what advice could you offer them? Well, I know it sounds cliche, but what do you have to lose? (laughs) Oh, girl, they'll tell you like fear, money, respect, like all those things. So what do you say to that? Yeah, a a lot of it. And, you know, I was just talking to somebody the other day and, and I decided that the difference between courage and stupidity is just the outcome. Oh, man, that is so so good. That's Good. But it's true. Yes, you're right. I, you know, I could have quit my stable, well-paying career, and I could have started this business, and it could have failed, and everybody in my life could have said, "Well, that was a stupid move," but it didn't. So now everybody in my life says, "Wow, that was really courageous." <laughs> Gosh, that's so true. Oh, I love that. I love that. You just have to. You have to be willing to fail. Yeah. And, and you might, but if you keep going, eventually you won't. Dang it. <laughs> I, there's like literally nothing else to say. That is the mic drop moment. That is so, so good. I agree completely because I think if you looked at my career at any point in the last 10 years, there are plenty of people who thought I was stupid. Like so stupid. Like what are you doing? And now suddenly everything's taking off and everyone's paying attention and it's all working and everyone's Mm -hmm. like, wow, man, you were were a prophet. Like you just saw the Mm -hmm. writing on the wall. I'm like, no, I just kept going. I just, I knew there was something there and I just kept going. Yeah. Everybody wants to go to the party when it's already going, but nobody wants to come in when the alcohol's not there and there's no food. (laughs) And (laughs) Totally. Nobody wants to set up the chairs. Yeah, absolutely. But you, you have to know, like if I think, you know, you you feel it in your bones and you know, in your heart of heart, is this going to work or not? And, and for me, I just felt like it was just something I do and that's one of those times and I think in my professional career and then also my personal life I've had to tune out what anyone else says and tune out other people's advice even if it might have been sage advice <laughs> and I just had to go for it you know um I love it I've I love it I've been through a lot of a lot of obstacles I guess you could say and and I always knew I would be okay and I can get through it because I had confidence in myself. Um, I think self-doubt is, is one of the, the hardest things to get over, but really surrounding yourself with people that aren't going to be telling you the opposite. You know, you just, you just have to go for it. <laughs> I love that. Man, Tori, yeah. if people are dying right now, they're like, this all sounds amazing, but I really want to see these bags. <laughs> Will you tell them where they can find you online and on social media? 
Yes. So we're eshelltriangle.com, which nobody ever knows how to pronounce. So you sell sell it for them (laughs) because they're going to need it. And we'll put it in show notes as well, guys. It's I-X-C-H-E-L and then triangle, T-R-I-A-N-G-L-E. Oh my gosh. I had so many people be like, are you sure that's really what you want to name your company? Because nobody can say it. And, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and it's, it's, uh, it's a mind word. Um, but I just knew it like I knew in my bones, like, nope, this is the name of my business. And I don't care if anyone can say it or not, if they can call me the triangle lady. And I get that so much like, oh, you have the triangle company. Yes. Like, I'll take it. I'm like, okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, but you know, she, Ishelle is a, she's the Mayan goddess of fertility and midwifery. And I had my girls at home with a midwife and I was like, Ooh, I like that. I got to go for it. Mm, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, sister, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. And thank you for sharing your journey and your story, which I know is going to be so inspiring for all of the dreamers who are listening, who have that little calling on their heart and maybe needed the nudge that you gave them today to, to live more fully into who they're called to be. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you. on more than just this podcast, which means that the next time you're on Instagram or Facebook or YouTube, be sure and type Rachel Hollis into the search bar and check out all the fun things we have going on on your favorite platform. The advanced reader copies of Girl Stop Apologizing are officially out in the world. Which means for the first time ever, people besides my editor are reading my new book. And I can't wait for you to read it too. I wrote Girl Stop Apologizing because I wanted to give women permission to do just that. Stop apologizing for who you are. Stop apologizing for the dreams and goals and hopes you have for your life. The tagline for this book is a shame-free guide for embracing and achieving your goals. So if you have big audacious dreams for your career or great, fantastic personal goals for yourself, this is the book for you. It comes out March 12th and you can pre-order now on Amazon.com. So this week, I announced my next book. It's called Didn't See That Coming. It's all about how you put your life back together after your world falls apart. I actually wrote this inside of quarantine because I wanted something that y'all could read as you transition out of the crisis of a pandemic. And then inside of writing it, my world fell apart. And this is a story of how you keep on going. This is a story of the tactics and the tools that I have used time and time again when I have gone through grief or loss or trauma. The book comes out on September 29th and you can find it today. You can pre-order wherever books are sold. And yes, I am narrating the audio as always. But if you pre-order, meaning if you buy it any time before 
September 29th. If you go to didn't see that coming new book.com, you can get my one hour course on how to rebuild. How do you rebuild your life? Free one hour course plus a workbook that you can print out and utilize to start the process. It's something that I thought I could give you to be helpful as you transition to whatever comes next. Didn't See That Coming is my new book and I hope that you will check it out.